Pat, my dear friend, thanks for coming on. We're going to have some fun. I'm starting a podcast to talk about the passion and the nuts and bolts and the history of amazing whiskey. And I'm not really going to deal with a lot of the new stuff, but I'm going to talk about just what's happened in the past and, and, and the passion behind it. And one thing I've had the, the enjoyment of getting to know you at Mahesh's events at Universal Whiskey is you are a man who has seen and done a lot with great whiskey. Would I be correct in saying that? I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, you want to take a moment to introduce yourself to the audience? Tell them a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Sure. Nothing crazy sure. as yeah. much as you feel like sharing. Okay. Uh, Pat McCarthy. I, uh, I've been involved in the, the whiskey industry for over 50 years. Uh, started out first as a merchandiser, uh, part-time job. I worked for the fire department in North New Jersey full-time. Uh, my days off, I did all the merchandising for every major company at one time or another. Um, after I retired from the fire department, I ran the Brown Foreman Display Company in New Jersey for uh, about three or four years then moved into the uh, retail end of the business. Uh, really became super passionate about scotch and bourbon probably about 25 years ago. Uh, and it's just growing since. Uh, and that's about Pat, it. Walk, walk me through bourbon and scotch 25 years ago. What was your, what would, a, what would go to, what would a go-to drinker be the, 25 years ago? And it, with the bourbon, it's, I mean, it. You, you, people will say Jack Daniels is not bourbon. And okay, it's not bourbon technically. Uh, it was the bourbon category, uh, followed by Jim Beam, uh, Maker's Mark. Uh, Maker's was considered the, the super premium bourbon at the time. Um uh, but the average drinker, Jim Beam White, uh, Jack Daniels, you know, maybe if, if you were doing something special, you might have the uh, the makers. And then uh, Beam came out. So, so, uh, so would makers have been back then, would that have been like the Johnny Walker Blue of bourbon? Yes. Yeah, if you're doing yeah. something special, you bust out the makers. Right. And, then, and there were people that were so locked into the makers, though, that they wouldn't consider any other brand it, it became the probably the first cult whiskey uh you know uh the one of the best bottles of bourbon i ever drank was a jim beam white it was in Bettles, alaska which has a population of about 25 people had just finished dog sledding for six nights and when we got to the bar in the town we had to buy the whole bottle which my son-in-law and i you know, finished uh, along with some other people on the trip. And it's, to me, to me, whiskey, besides the flavor, the history and the law of the whiskey itself is the people that you're drinking with. Uh, and I think that goes back to the passion of the whole thing. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, 100%. Now, and then back then, scotch? What would, what, what would the scotch reaches for have been? Uh, it, it would have been the, the blends, uh, Doers, uh, Chevis Regal, 
that didn't get into uh, single malts until Art Bag was reintroduced into the United States, uh, which would have been 20 something years ago, I guess. The 10 year old, I tried a couple of sips of it at the store I was running at the time, uh, just to see if I wanted to bring it into the store. Uh, loved the flavor. Half hour later, I took a drink of water and it just opened back, right back up on my palate. And I fell in love with Art Beck. You know? Wow. So, so, so prior to that, I mean, you're talking about the blends. I mean, these were, these are once again, in, international institutions of scotch blending. Um, it's a perfect blend, but no one's really, the, 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 there's not much creativity because there's no demand for creativity. Would that be a fair statement? Uh, yeah, back in the day, uh, yeah. because what you wanted then was consistency. Yeah. Uh, that's, they introduced the chill filtering so that the whiskey always looked pretty. To me, it always stripped out flavor. Uh, you know, you're taking the essential oils out of it, uh, and just, it just loses something. Uh, the, uh, the blends today though, I mean, and you have your standard blends, which they're still looking for that consistency, but you have people like John Glacier blending at Compass mm -hmm. Box. Uh, I mean, I call, I call him iron chef of whiskey. He takes great whiskeys <laughs> and makes them better. I mean, he's right. like, listen. He's got great ingredients. I mean, this last one, the one that came in the, the fake book, I forget, Velasquez or something like that was unbelievable. Yes, yeah. I mean, what do you have, a 27-year-old Highland Park in there or something? It was like, like, I'm like, of course, you have great ingredients going in and you're a master blender. And of course, you know, for anyone listening to this, you know, John Glazer came from the whole Johnny Walker blending. You know, like yes, he, yeah. he knows how to blend really well. And at some point I'll have him on the podcast, but like his biggest thing was he just didn't like being making the same thing every single day. He wanted to do other stuff. Right. And, the, and I think uh, that's, I've introduced sorry, people to scotch that were strictly bourbon drinkers and they, they could not drink scotch. They, they hated it. And the problem is they took the wrong scotch. Yeah. I introduced them with uh, John's uh, myths and legends. Uh, they fell in love with scotch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm upset. I mean, I, I just picked up another circus, you know, um, a compass box circus on auction. And I can't wait to open. I still That's, say when people say, what's one of the best blended whiskeys you have? I said compass box, the general. I yes. don't even know what was going on there, but that thing is just like, you just stop your whole, your whole day just stops when you, when yeah. you have a sip of that. It's <laughs> just, you, you want to just, you want to hit pause and just enjoy every moment as you go through the ride in your mouth and in the, your brain and everywhere. Yeah. The, and then, uh, okay. Go ahead. No. So then, so, so now you've got these, I mean, you go back 25 years ago, it's pretty much four or five houses between bourbon, four or five houses between scotch that are, you know, dominating. There's obviously no demand for any more than that. Nobody really wants the space. Like you said, they're making products that are consistent because that's just what the market wants. And then at what point for in your um, drinking life, do you have something that's just you like a holy shit moment? Like from like 
maybe 15, 20 years ago, you're like, well, I have drank this, you know, these Johnny Walkers, uh, these Jack Daniels, these Maker's Marks, like I've drank the Shivers. I've drank that now for 10 years. When did you see something new come on the scene that got your attention? I know you said the Ardbegs came back in and that helped with Scotch. Like, what was it? What was, like, run that for me. The, uh, once I had the Ardbeg, and, and it's a, a funny transition, you know, people say you don't start with the, with a heavily peated Isla whiskey. Uh, but from there, I, I branched out into the Downwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they, they just have some lovely stuff. Uh, Jura, when it came back. Uh, I just I just picked up a I just picked up a 27 year old Jura on auction, uh, a, a signatory release. God knows when <laughs> I was like, I'll take a 27 year old Jura. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The, so, wait, uh, so, what, so, so and that was that was Patterson at his I mean, he's always in his prime, but I would imagine that's like when he's really hitting his stride. Hey, yes. Yeah. And I mean, he was constantly in the lab, we'll say. Uh, yeah. Before he was really out on the road all the time, you know, there weren't ambassadors running around. He he had his time to spend as as a master blender. Um, you know. Well, the, I tell people what's the difference between now and the past is like now you have a cell phone, you have Zoom, you have email, you know. 25, 30 years ago, they had, didn't have that. They just went to work and did the best job that they possibly could. And then they left. And maybe they right. took some booze home and had a good weekend or shared it with friends. They're like, hey, this is a great week. They, so, yeah. so, Dalmore, so Dalmore yeah. comes around. and Obviously, Dalmore comes into the New Jersey market. Yes. And uh, com- comes across you. And then, like, how do they bring that to market? I mean, it's, you know, it's it's... I wouldn't say it was revolutionary for the time, but it was maybe the first. It, it, it was the first one that almost had a line extension. They had the uh, 12-year-old. They had the cigar malt. And there, there was something else they had back in those days. But it, and I mean, compared to today's prices, you know, <laughs> they, they were ridiculously inexpensive. Um, but, uh, you know, then, uh, and it was still blends, though. The blends were mm-hmm. still really driving the industry, you know, from at the retail level. Uh, after after Downmore, you had the, the Johnny Walker, uh, the Diageo uh, collection, uh, you know, when they had uh, Port Ellen and uh, Brewer. You know, those, and it, I th- they did to single malts what the the Booker's uh, small batch collection did for bourbon. They showed, they showed another side of it. Well, like we were saying earlier, it's, it, it's, a, it's a cleaner for us. You know, less people have touched it. The oils are in there. Everything's in there. Right. It's like, this is it. Yeah, and... They they would do promotions uh, where they would taste across the the line. It was they'd start with the Dalwini uh, and work mm-hmm. their way up to Lagavulin, uh, so people could actually you know sit there in a bar. And they did a lot in bars uh, in New Jersey anyway. Uh, 
you know, the, the bar where you'd have the younger crowd willing to try things. They weren't locked into, well, I drank this because my father and my grandfather drank it. Uh, and that that really, to me, that, that's what really got it kick-started. Uh, and when you say on those bars, I mean, I, you know, I grew up in South Africa. You start drinking scotch way before you probably legally should. But it was always on the rocks. Like nobody was drinking anything neat. Right. That I that I ever saw. I mean, I didn't probably start drinking neat till probably a decade ago when I really like wrapped my head around the liquid. But before then, it was it was a it was an encounter to be with friends and have a good time. And you threw a few rocks in there. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I very seldom will have ice. Uh, if I have ice in a drink, it's usually a cocktail. Uh, an old fashioned, yeah. <laughs> but well, I, I also I will drink ice if I'm at it if I'm somewhere where I don't want to. I don't want to be there very long, and I don't feel like drinking a lot. I'll put ice in this. I can just nurse that drink, you right, know, for forty five minutes and get the f out. <laughs> yeah, or or if it's super hot and I'm sitting outside with friends who are I don't smoke cigars, but if they're smoking, yeah. I'll sit out with them. And it's really really hot. Well, then maybe I'll throw a cube or two in, but yeah. Uh, yeah, you know. I don't know. So, so now you've got this. The single malts are starting to like hit Jersey. Now, what's happening in the world of bourbon? And and this, I'm assuming now we're we're up into the late '80s. That would let me see. Yeah, late '80s, early '90s. Yeah, uh, and they the bourbons with with the uh, small batch collection from Beam, you know, mm -hmm. Booker's Basil. Uh, I didn't they realize really Basil went back that far, to be honest. I knew Booker did. I didn't realize that Basil went back that far. Uh, yeah, actually, maybe it's the mid-90s to the late-90s. Uh, but they, they're the ones that got it moving. Uh, back in the 70s and 80s, you had more companies, uh, but then they, you know, bourbon died. It was yeah. uh, brown goods died. It became uh, vodka and rum. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I was doing nightclubs early 90s, and I remember the vodka rush. Like, it was just like, that was it. You yeah. could have 37 different flavors of shitty vodka, and that's what they wanted. They're like, oh, do right. you have the black currants? Oh, do you have the strawberry? Yeah, sure, we got all that shit. Yeah. Schnapps. That's... Remember, schnapps was big. Ice cold <laughs> schnapps. <laughs> you would drink that, and you'd, you know, the next day you'd feel like, you know, a sugar hangover, the worst. Right. <laughs> So, so, so I, basically, uh, brown, brown dormant. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Gin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Which is making a resurgence now. Yeah, I'm sorry. I feel like gin is actually making a resurgence now. It, it is. Uh, I, I still don't drink very much of it anymore. I, yeah. I always blamed it for the headaches. I think it was probably the tonic. There yeah. was that, you know, the sugar and the tonic giving me headaches. Uh, it, I, I basically only drink brown spirits. Yeah, uh, me too. And I'll drink rum, but it's got to be rum that drinks like a whiskey. Mm -hmm. I, I don't care for the, the sweeter rums. Uh, I mean, know. talk about talk about a uh, th that cat the category of rum, and the there's no financial. I, I mean, I was in I was in Costa Rica a few weeks ago for work, and. The 25-year-old Furtacana is for like $127. Yeah. 
a bottle. I'm like, oh my God, you guys yeah. took 25 years to make this and you're only charging that. And, and that always goes back to me in the current day and the pricing. I'm like, I don't believe that this stuff actually costs a lot. It's what the market was willing to pay for it that uh, dictates it, the price. Yeah. <laughs> the, the whole thing with rum, though, if they put 25 years on the label, that doesn't mean all the, the rum in there is 25 years old. As no, because as, they don't have to follow the rules of scotch or right, bourbon. As long as <laughs> yeah. they mix a little bit of it in, uh, you know, there, there's a few on the market that, you know, are aged yeah. uh, properly. But, uh, you know, and then people say, well, how come, how come this rum is 25 years old and it's $120? And you have that twenty-five-year-old Scotch for three thousand oh. dollars. So, so when does talking about the twenty-five-year-old Scotch for three thousand? At what point does McAllen show up on the scene? Uh, I let's see. I started at Bayway Liquors about seventeen years ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. And at that time, McAllen was a nice brand. It was the 12 year old was a better everyday drinker. Uh, the uh, the 18 year old sold the 18 year old for one hundred and fifty dollars a bottle, which was a lot. No, it, it was. But it, it had already created the whole mystique, the the romance about it being the best of the best. Uh, I sold a case a week. 12 bottles a week. Uh, it went, the 25-year-old was about $250. And I sold the case a month. And now if I could get a case a month, I'd, I'd be happy. You know? Well, that's what I tell uh, people all the, the price, time. They're like, where do you get your whiskey? I'm like, you can't get whiskey anymore. You literally uh, have to be lucky. Like the whole game changed and, and the game even changed more during COVID because I felt, at least out here on the West Coast, when the distributors lost the restaurants because they were closed for COVID, they went to the liquor stores and the grocery stores and started pushing out the, the inventory there. And then once those guys got comfortable and COVID was, you know, quasi over, they're like, oh, sorry, you're not getting any more. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, going back, yeah. it's going back to the restaurants now. Yeah, that happened with the <laughs> wine. Uh, yeah. The, you know, the allocated wine said, they would sell to the restaurants. Uh, all of a sudden, now they're coming to the store and say, "Hey, let's we can give you twenty five cases instead of your usual one case a year." You know, uh, I, I brought a lot of wine home. <laughs> yeah, I, and there's a lot of great wine out there now. There really is. I mean, same as whiskey. You know, I, I, what I like about you know when we do our events, you know, annually with Mahesh at Universal Whiskey is like you. they'll bring out random stuff. Like look what the, you know, the Gordon McPhail brings out this like distilleries I've never jumped into. I mean, I'd never drank a Royal Brockla before, before universal whiskey. I just bought a, I bought a 17 year old on auction the other day to drink heavy sherry cask. You know, like I'm like, well, I I kind of like these old little quirky distilleries where I honestly believe the guy that put that whiskey in the barrel he just did the best job he could that day. Like that was it. He had no distractions. He didn't have to go show up in Korea to be a brand ambassador and do a show. <laughs> he didn't have to do fucking Instagram. He didn't have to do shit. Yeah. He just did his job and enjoyed it. The uh, I have I have noticed a lot of independent bottlers in the last like 
10 years, would you say that there's been a spike in independent bottling with the guys who maybe it, were sitting on inventory? There, we started dealing with independence uh, probably before most people did. Uh, back 15, 16 years ago, we had in the store about 275 different single malls. Uh, and a lot of them came from the independents. Uh, you had Douglas Lang, uh, Gordon McPhail, um, the, uh, you know, and, and then we started buying barrels from them. Uh, I had from uh, Duncan Taylor, a 19-year-old mm -hmm. McAllen that was aged only in a bourbon barrel. Wow. And... Uh, <laughs> It, I was selling it for less than a hundred dollars. And what would you say? Okay. In, and, in 2022, what's market value on that? 399 uh, plus? It's, it's gotta be at least. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've, uh, we're, we're and it was, like, it's very strange time. Right. And it was also cash strength. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, over the years, we've done a lot of barrels of scotch. Uh, nowhere near what we do with bourbon just because no. it, it's not as readily available. Uh, the fine that you were talking about buying things at auction, I just picked up three bottles of uh, the very first Brook Laddie scotch I ever did with Jim McEwen. Oh, wow. And he, it was 14 years old. He finished it in a rum barrel. Um, and it was... I think I probably sold it for about $60 back then. Uh, it was 19, what was it? Or 2008 uh, when I first did it. And the, uh, I paid $100 <laughs> at auction. Well, uh, so, so just for the listeners of this, there, there's a very weird thing going on. Like we're all probably feeling this. There's a financial shift happening. And the last couple of years have been like a little too good and the other shoe appears to be dropping. So these last two months of auctions where products might have sold for a lot higher, they just sat there. And for guys like me and Pat who want to drink amazing whiskey, it's kind of like, oh, wow, <laughs> really? It's just sitting right. there on page yeah. 74 of the auction and nobody gives a shit and there's five bids on it. All right, I'll, I'll throw an extra five on it. I mean, yeah. I, I got ten. I got ten bottles, Pat, for like fifteen hundred bucks. Right. I have a thirty-year-old canvas, a twenty-seven-year-old Jura, a two thousand Blantons, uh, a, a, another Blantons Gold because I enjoy drinking that when I drink Blantons. Uh, I mean, I got ten, ten bottles for fifteen hundred bucks. I was laughing my yeah. ass off. I'm like, is this for real? They they charge me more on shipping to get it to the United States than, that, than, yes. than some it, of the whiskey. <laughs> like, I'm like, this is nuts. So. Pat, you've drank a lot of great stuff. What to you as far as standouts? Because I want to say in the last probably five years, there's been a lot of expensive bottles, whether the pricing is deserved or not, but really incredibly aged. Like, you know, the 40 years, the 32s, you know, some serious crazy stuff. What's some, like, you have this whole foundation that you've built the last 50 years of just enjoying whiskey. And then the last 10 years kind of became like, oh shit, like there's a lot of expensive, whether it's deserved or not, but like there's a lot of really good whiskey. What's like been a standout 
for you in the last couple of years? The things that were readily available, and I'll go back 10 years, you know, start there. Mm -hmm. uh, there was uh, the Brewers, 30, 32-year-old Brewers mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, I, I would bring it to the store. I'd, I'd bring cases in. Uh, the Port Ellens. Uh, Port Ellens. That, John, that Johnny Walker, that Johnny Walker Port Ellen, it's spectacular. Yes. Uh, I just hope when they reopen and start going that it tastes like the old stuff did. You know? I mean, uh, <laughs> you and I both know. I, I, I highly doubt that, but I guess it's good for the brand. I mean, it's going to yeah. bring, you know, I'm waiting on the next auction auction to pick up some of those older Port Ellens. <laughs> I'll tell you another whiskey that I really enjoyed was uh, Mahesh's Prometheus. When hmm. he came out with that. No, I haven't actually had that. I got to ask oh, him about that. He's yeah. back in town next week. Yeah. It, I mean, I'm sure it's all gone, but uh, it was, I can't tell you what it was, but it was from Speyside and it started with an M. <laughs> that's that's the biggest hint that he could yeah. give me. No, I hate that and, it, and if you don't guess it right, then <laughs> yes, then you like don't you really know me, what's going I, on. I could never drink again. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I mean, was, what I mean, it was it was an old style one that had a little bit of peatiness to it, uh, and it, it it was super enjoyable. It's I'm I'm not big on the on the huge sherry bombs. Uh, it's, I mean, I can enjoy them. It's not something that I, I seek out. Uh, so I was really surprised pleasantly with what he had done with it. Well, yeah. it's interesting that you talk about that big one with an M and having a little smoke and stuff, because the other day I was fortunate enough to drink the, these, uh, you know, Rachel Barry's released these two 40 year old Ben Rieks. Yes. And one of them, what the one that I got to try what had a hint of smoke, which is obviously not their profile at all. Right. Or anything like that. And I was like, I was talking to Stuart and we were drinking. And I'm like, holy shit. Like it's it's like you just don't put those big houses with the smoke. And when when they do it on the off chance, you're like, I don't know why you don't do that more often. Right. It, it, yeah, it's <laughs> such a pleasant <laughs> surprise. You know, I said to Stuart, it was like it was like truffle season. You just weren't, you know, you come in and you're ordering your regular pasta and they're like, hey, you want to throw some truffles on me? You're like, hey, why not? This is like, oh, shit, what the fuck is this? Uh, right. Very enjoyable. And then as far as bourbons, because that I feel like it's like open season now. Everyone and their mother has a bourbon. In the last 10 years, who have, I mean, what's been a, a phenomenal experience that you've had with bourbon? Well, you mentioned one of them with the uh, Blanton's Gold. Yeah, uh, and straight yeah. straight from the barrel is is my favorite on the blends. Uh, I do I do a barrel blends every year for the store. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just drinking a bottle side by side with the straight from the barrel that somebody sent me from Europe, and geez, there was no comparison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as as well, much as people send me, oh wow, your pick is great, as yeah. Because you haven't had it alongside this, yeah. This well, well. Next April, I'm going to bring this 2,000 Blantons with me to Vegas for us to drink. Because I'm like, I know it's different, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like we can, you know. Right. I and and there's almost like it's nothing like crazier when you're sitting at, you know, 
a usual haunt like you know a brandy library or a fine and rare you're like can i taste a 12 year old scotch from the 80s and 90s and then a, and then a reg and then one from you know 2017 ish right. yeah you're like wow those yeah. are not the same they have the same name and the same number but right. they are not the same and i think uh, that's the part to me that's kind of like i get it it's money it's you know at the end of the day it's money money rules the world but when you get that opportunity to just drink that special whiskey from a time period you know it's like literally a time capsule that was locked because nobody cared it's a different whiskey i just had some uh glenn grant from 1955 you know, uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> it was it was it was just fantastic uh, well, the only I, I was, problem I, was I didn't have enough of it. <laughs> well, and so I was in Portland a few weeks ago for work, and and there's a gentleman there, Tommy, who's got a, I can't, I mean, I, I feel terrible, I can't remember his bar off the top of my head. He'll come on the podcast at some point. But we did a, um, uh, it's called the Ballard Cut. That's what it's called. Anyway, he has, I don't know, a couple of thousand bottles in, in his bar, and he took me down a history pat of like the first Hibikis. And I tra- I had the Hibiki, the first Hibiki 17, and then the 2017, obviously right. like night and day. Yeah. Then he took. Then he. Then I tried those. Uh, those Pappy, the Wizards. He had the blue yeah. and the red one. I had the blue one. I, I. I just. I was in shut the f mode. Just sat down there. I was like, oh my god, what is going on here? And then we had like some 1960s Four Roses. <laughs> That was not, and then he had a 1960 old Fitz, like right next to it. Yeah, and I'm like, I mean, it's just different. It's it's a whole caliber of greatness above everything else, but it's understandable because of that was the period. Right. We uh, we were down in Lexington. Uh, I was doing a the barrel pit down there, and we were in the house, Justin's house of bourbon. Mm-hmm. And I was drinking a 10-year-old Van Winkle from, oh, God, some, sometime in the early 60s. Oh, wow. And uh, I mean, it was just, just so nice, you know. Uh, I actually text Julian and asked him to come over and meet us. I goes, gee, I wish I knew. <laughs> but uh, Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I tell you, one of the things that I drank that night was a 2003... Mictor is just US 101. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It was like, uh, it, it was like Dr. Pepper meets bourbon. <laughs> like, it's like, That's... I just sat there and it was just popping. All, I was like, I said to Tommy, I was like, this is like when my kids have those pop rocks and the shit just pops all <laughs> over your tongue. This thing right. is just like exploding in my mouth. With all, that, and he yeah. opened it fresh. He bought it on auction. He said, nobody wanted it. This thing just sat there. Nobody caught that it was from 2003. You know, right. they were just like, oh, this is just, you know, your standard $40 Target mixer is poor. Yeah. You know? And he's like, he got it. And I was like, holy, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. And then he he busted out a couple of bourbons from Pennsylvania in that same era that mixers originally was starting. Yes. You know, not the mixers we know now, but like some of those old Pennsylvania whiskeys were, I mean, I have like a 23-year-old rye that was just nuts. I mean, I love rye. So for me, it's I, like. Yeah, it's something and there. I, I think Mictors does rise so well. 
Oh, I mean, I saw people ask me, what's the best thing you've ever had? I'm like, it's that 2014 Mictus Rye, 25-year-old. Yeah. Best rye I've ever had. You know, I, I got to say the 2003 Van Winkle Rye was was pretty darn spectacular. That's, that's my favorite it, it, in their range is the rye. Well, and I was saying that today to someone. I'm like, I, the ryes are my number one. And I used to, if someone said, well, what about the other stuff? I'm like, oh, you know, the 15 year. I love the 15 year. But I got to say, the last three years, I felt like the 20 was actually better than the 15. Because I got to imagine, you know, it's demand. And, you, and you're moving yeah. this juice around. And you're kind of like, not everything can be the same. I just can't. Right. And, and some, some of the, the problem with that is, you know, people are paying prices today as if it was still the old Stitzer Weller, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and that's what created the cult. And, and now they're still, well, paying- I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, you want to go into the cult, you look at the Willets. I can't, you can't, I can't even, I mean, do you even get allocated those in New Jersey? Uh, we, we get a couple of times a year at, at most. Some will come in and not a whole lot. Yeah. I mean, when I go to Kentucky, this will be the, I'm go, I go back on Sunday because I'm, I'm going to see Mandy on Monday and do another Four Roses barrel pick. And then tell her, uh, tell her I said hello because definitely. Four Roses doesn't think I deserve any more barrels. She knows. She knows. <laughs> I, I stopped and talked to her. But tell her I said I, hi. I, I will. I got to go. So I do. I'll see her on Monday morning and then I'll roll straight to Maker's. Um, and now that Trevor has been elevated in position, he's got his new position there. I'm yes. going to do another barrel pick with him. And then I reached out to Marcy at Preservation because, you know, she's everything that you've seen. She's been on another side of it as as the as the curator of the whiskeys. Mm-hmm. You know, when nobody wanted those bourbons that she, her yeah. and Julian would get together and be like, who wants this? Do you want it or do I want it? I don't even know <laughs> if I want it. <laughs> you know, like nobody wants it. Like yeah, it's too let's much flip money. Coin and you have yeah, to let's flip a coin and decide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna go for a tasting there on Monday afternoon uh, to finish out Monday uh, with her. She's organizing a pretty cool tasting, and then I, I, I think you've been there. But on Tuesday, I you know I, this is my third visit, but Starlight Distillery down in Indiana. Nice people, really oh, nice. I mean, yeah. what a family! What a what a heritage! Yeah, uh, you know, the first time I went in there and Christian took me through all the different barrels that he's got sitting and he's working on, I was kind of like, man, I'm like, I feel like the some of the current whiskey is blockbuster and these dudes were Netflix. Like they're mm-hmm. making the future whiskey yeah. with the passion. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That is 100% a passion distillery. Yeah, and it, that, that yeah. whole farm, I mean, it's, it's an oh. incredible spot now. Yeah you know and just the whole history and 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 him and his brother and the dad like i just i love geeking out like we're on right. tuesday i'm gonna spend four hours in one of the rick houses and we're just gonna walk around thiefing stuff like we did last time you know like just like because he's he's buying barrels from everywhere uh, yes, you know, yeah all around the world and oh he i mean last time i was there he had some something from down in brazil but it wasn't a rum it was like another liquid that they put in yeah, and he was uh, aging whiskey, and it was, they, yeah, I, yep, yep, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was like, "What a unique taste f- flavor profile!" Yeah, uh, Pat, I tell you, man, I hope that I hope that we still get access to this amazing stuff, and these 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 newbies kind of just stick to the marketing companies. 
Because I feel like there's still a lot of great whiskey out there that I have not got to try. And and I rely on 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 stuff on going to events like what Mahesh does to kind of learn about, you know, what what what's from the past. Because we're drinking, you know, you obviously know you've been there every single year. Like we're drinking stuff from the past. He doesn't bring in very many marketing companies. Right. So if you were to if you were to uh uh, lock it down to best thing you've ever drank. Could you even call that out? Yep. Yep. What is it? It's an easy one. The Pogue mm-hmm. Castle, nineteen fifty one. Nineteen fifty one. Wow. Okay. Uh, I just first, tried some of the recent stuff, and I really loved it. I mean, yeah, talk about they, an Irish whiskey house that nobody talks about. Right. Uh, the the fifty one was. There were so many flavors going on. It was, it was just all over. Uh, super enjoyable. Okay. I got to look out on the next auction when nobody's buying. I mean, did uh, you see yeah. how this bur- the bourbons were like free? Like not one person on any of those two London-based auctions were like, we're not buying bourbon. Right. <laughs> give a shit about it. <laughs> well, Pat, I'm going to have fun with this podcast and kind of just really focus on the passion and 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 the, the the amazing history of whiskey and when i was thinking of who i wanted to have on you popped up immediately because you've seen it you've done it you live it and i i can't thank you enough for coming on my friend uh, i really it's really it's a pleasure thank you. it's great talking and to you. and i should be back in new york next month and try to time it so i can see you in the city sounds and good yeah let we'll, me we'll know. make it happen right. right my friend well happy friday and i really appreciate you coming on and we'll chat soon <laughs>